Be seated. Thank you, Chris. So, I want to ask you to just take a, a little mental trip here for a moment. Back to grade school and the cafeteria at grade school, at lunch. Lunch was one of my favorite subjects. And I want to do a, a quick little survey, okay? How many of you, most of the time, okay, not 100% of the time, but most of the time, bought your lunch in the school cafeteria? You know, paid whatever it cost you know, back then, okay. How many of you, most of the time, brought your lunch from home? Okay, so good, good, okay. Now, regardless of, of which camp you fall in, how many of you had a memorable school lunchbox that you got at the first of the year in grade school? Almost everybody. The rest of you were just taking brown bags, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, I did a little research on the internet, and I found some classic lunchboxes from about 50 years ago. So there's this one. Uh, good old Evil Knievel. Anybody remember him? Poor guy didn't make it over the Snake River Canyon, did he? That was a big deal when I was uh, in high school. And then, and then one that just always just, it just weirded me out. The Planet of the Apes. I just, I was kind of afraid of them. Even as I got older, I was like, man, this, I just don't know if I want anything to do with that. And then just fast forward a little bit, maybe to the 90s, there's the Little Mermaid, right? Who, who can ever forget Under the Sea? You just see it and you just automatically go there. But, but here's one. Don't put it up yet, Michael. Don't put this one up yet. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know a single parent that would do this to their children. I don't know a single parent who would let their child go to school with this lunchbox. And if they did, I really feel sorry for the child because it's just hard to imagine a child walking into a school cafeteria carrying this lunchbox. Will you put it up there? The Golden Girls. I mean, how many kids are going to carry a Golden Girls lunchbox? I mean, anyway. And then the classic. We all probably had some version of this one, right? Isn't that just great, uh, the peanuts? Well, it's, it's fun to consider and to reconsider the classics and have, have a flashbacks to uh, a time that has gone before. And today, uh, we're in this message series called Classics Reconsidered. And in this series, we're taking a look at some of your favorite Bible stories. I mean, we could really call these the classic of the classics, Right. Our story today features an episode from the life of Jesus that is reported in all four, all four Gospels, and it's a story about lunch. It's a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And what I want us to consider from this classic this morning is that as we root around the nooks and crannies of this incredible story, we see a powerful pattern of discipleship and mission for our lives. And so let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 30 through 44. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, starts like this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, let me just stop right there for a moment. Because we see already a powerful mark of discipleship. And it's what I've simply called for us, the recognition. The apostles had been out ministering and they'd returned to Jesus and told, told him all about it. And there were so many people around them that the people didn't have a chance to eat, the disciples didn't have a chance to eat, and everybody was hungry. So Jesus, taking care of his disciples, says, hey, let's get away. Let's take a boat ride. Let's unplug for a little while. But as you see, as the text unfolds, the crowds recognize the disciples and beat them to the other side of the lake. The crowd recognized the disciples as people who had been with Jesus and done the work of Jesus. Isn't that discipleship goal number one for each one of us? Actually, at the end of our run, however the long, long the Lord gives us to live, isn't that we, what we want said about our lives? That people recognized Jesus in us. That people would recognize us as followers of Jesus. Recognition. I grew up singing an old hymn, while passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view. Be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. There's been a lot written about this interesting reality happening in this country that as our culture becomes increasingly secular, there's a segment of the population, and Barna Research reports about 10% of the population, that says and they report that they absolutely, they love Jesus, but not the church. They love Jesus, but they don't love the church. And the perception is, at least, that Christians don't necessarily pattern their lives after Jesus. That Christians aren't being recognized as people who follow the ways of Jesus. Now, we know it's perception. We know it's not universally true. Yet we also know it's true in some cases. I heard about a little boy who once was misbehaving in church one week. And as he left the church, he went out and he went out by the pastor, as was the habit, and he said, Hey, Johnny, you know, aren't you in the Lord's army? Because he had heard that old song in VBS, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, you know, all that. And little Johnny looked at the pastor and said, Absolutely I am, but I'm undercover. He wasn't recognized as somebody who was following Jesus. This is a great place for us to start when we think about our lives as Christians. At its core, it's diagnostic in nature, do people recognize Jesus in us? Will they meet Jesus in the way that we live our lives? Now, let's go back to our text and discover another important point of recognition, starting with uh, verse 30. Just follow along. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things, 
By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Notice the difference in recognition again. Notice the difference in how Jesus recognized the crowd and how his disciples did. Jesus looked at the masses and saw them as lost and wondering, sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to teach them about the ways of God. Luke, who was a physician, also said he healed those who needed healing. So Jesus sees a crowd in need of direction, and he teaches them. He sees people in need of healing, and he heals them. He looks at the crowd, and he recognizes their need. The disciples, on the other hand, they see the crowd and look at their response. Hey, send them away and let them take care of themselves. Send them away and let them figure out lunch on their own. Two very different recognitions of the crowd. Jesus saw people to be helped. The disciples saw people as a problem. Let me say it again. Jesus saw people to be helped. The disciples saw people as a problem. What a powerful challenge to our sense of spiritual vision and formation. How do you view the crowds of people who are not followers of Jesus? Do you look upon people with compassion or do you look upon them with contempt? as an opportunity to show love or as a problem. But wait, there's more to this idea of recognition. All four Gospels report that there were 5,000 men there. Matthew writes, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. 5,000 men in addition to women and children. We call this the feeding of the 5,000. We really should call it feeding of the thousands and thousands because there are more people in the crowd that day with women and children. Who knows? It may have been closer to eight, nine, 10,000. Who knows? The women and the children were uncounted. There are people in your life, there are people in our community who go unseen and uncounted, and overlooked. There are people in our community who are not recognized as children made in the image of God. And the identity and of the unseen and the uncounted may be different for each one of us. For some, it may be those with disabilities. For others, it may be those who have recently immigrated to this country. For some, it could be seniors. For some, it could be those who are struggling with poverty. For some, it could be those who work in service industries, and their very job is to serve and put you first. And you just don't see the person behind the service. All you see is the service, but you don't see the person. Jesus sees all people. Jesus fed everyone on the hill that day. All people matter, and therefore, all people matter should matter 
to his disciples. I am a creature of habit in my daily routine for the most part. I frequent the same stores, the same businesses, and so forth, almost on a daily basis. And there's one employee of this place I go almost, uh, that I see almost three or four times a week. He's really quiet. He's really, really quiet. He says very little to anybody coming in. Well, I saw his name tag one day, and so I just started every time I go in, I call him by name, and when I leave, I call him by name. And he never says anything. It's just barely a, a good morning. Well, the other day I went in, and I said hi, and I called out his name. And then he proceeded to tell me about a move he's got coming up uh, and uh, where his parents are moving and that he's moving with them and uh, the type of house that they're moving to and the type of neighborhood they're moving to. It's all the way across the country and the type of... Uh, on and on. It's about t- it seemed like 10, 15 minutes. This is like a flood of information, a flood of conversation. I'll be honest with you. I was honored. I was blown away that he would share with me part of his story. And I think it was just because for years now, I called him by name. And he felt seen. And I'm struck now, before he moves, that the Lord may be opening doors for me to share the gospel of Jesus with him. Now, I don't share that with you for a pat on the back. There are so many people I miss. I share it with you to remind you There are people in your life right now who want to be seen, who want to be heard, who should be seen and should be heard. They have a story to tell and you have a gospel to share. Disciples recognize people in this world. Disciples recognize people that the world doesn't see, but Jesus does. Okay. That's the great recognition. Isn't it incredibly diagnostic for our life of faith? Do others see Jesus in you? How do you see the crowds? Do you see the unseen? So let's return to our lunch by the lake. Remember the disciples said, there's not enough food here. And then starting with verse 37, Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Had to be a bureaucrat to order and organize them into hundreds and fifties. It just had to, Matthew probably. That's probably how he collected taxes, right? Okay, you hundred go over here, then I'll get from you. Fifty over here, I'll get from you and so forth. John, interesting, John chapter six John includes this detail that we've remembered as part of this classic story, but he's the only one that includes it. Let me read it. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How, but how far will they go among so many? So it's John that introduces us to the little boy. Five loaves and two small fish. It was the offering. It was all that the boy had, and he gave it. It was not enough for two people to share, much less thousands, right? But that's how God works over and over and over again. God takes a little and turns it into a lot. That's just God's classic move. God takes a little 
and turns it into a lot. Abraham was just one man who stepped forward in faith and God made him the father of the nation of Israel. Moses was a a fugitive on the run and didn't have a lot of confidence, but God made him the leader of a great nation. David was just a, a little shepherd boy when he was anointed king. Rahab had a sullied reputation, but she stepped up in the moment and God used her to further his work in the world. Mary, a poor peasant girl, brought the Son of God into this world. God takes a little and makes it into a lot. That's what God does with our offering when we offer ourselves to him. He takes your little and makes it into a lot. But it starts with the offering. It starts with our willingness to release our lives into the hands of God. You may be here today and wondering, what do you have to offer God? You have your life, your experiences, your energy, your faithfulness. When you lift your life up to God, he will work a powerful work of multiplication in your life. It's a gentle question. Do you see your life as an offering to God? For God to turn a little into a lot. Well, let's continue with the story. Verse 41 Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Look at how Jesus handles the lunch. Look at how he handles the offering. It's a very common pattern when Jesus is at the table. It's also how he works in our lives. You see this This Eucharistic rhythm, if you will. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. We see this when he's with the 5,000. We see this when he's with the disciples in the upper room. We see it after the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection with Cleopas and his friend. Taken, blessed, broken, given. It's the common pattern. We're taken. As we offer our lives to Jesus, he takes us. Another way to say this is he receives us into and unto himself. As you give your heart to him, he will not reject you. He will not dismiss you. He will not overlook you. How many of us, if we were tasked with feeding thousands of people, would look at a little boy's lunch and say, you know what, you just go ahead and have that. That ain't going to work. But Jesus didn't overlook that. He received him. He receives you as you are. Blessed. Jesus received the lunch and gave thanks to God. He blessed it as God's provision. What started as a lunch for one turned into a miracle for the masses, didn't it? What started as a lunch for one turned into a miracle for the masses because he blessed it. I think we would all say that we want God to bless us. And I think we would all say that we've been blessed by God in some ways. We recognize God as the provider of all things. We may not always live into gratitude, but we try to step into it. We have a bent for giving thanks. What I wonder is, though, do we always know why God blesses us? God blesses us, one, because he loves us, and we're his children. And two, he blesses us to be a blessing to others. You are blessed by God to be a blessing to the masses. You're taken, you're blessed, and then broken. 
Jesus takes us as we are and yet changes us into what he wants us to be. Right? He receives us just as we are. And he turns us into the men and women that he wants us to be. That bread came in one form and it left in a different form, didn't it? It was broken. We all come to him with something that needs to be broken and transformed. For some of us, it's our own brokenness and need for healing from past wounds and hurts. For others, it's old attitudes and values that need to die and to be changed. But we come to him as we are, and he reshapes us, he reforms us, and he sends us out how we need to be. And then lastly, taken, blessed, broken, given. Given. You know, there's an interesting line on King David. It's the last word on King David in Scripture. And it says that when David served God's purposes in his generation, he died. You know, that really could be the last line for all of us. That when we serve God's purposes in our generation, in other words, when God has placed us, where God has placed us, right? When we've served, you are given to the place that you live and you are given to the time in which you live to serve the purposes of God. You're taken, you're blessed, you're broken, and you're given. You're sent into the world that God desperately loves. He says, you give them something to eat to his disciples. He says the same thing to each one of us. You give the masses my gospel. He says the same thing to us. You give the masses my gospel. He didn't have to involve his disciples in the miracle, but he chose to. Jesus called down bread and fish from heaven, he certainly could have delivered it to everybody. But he used the disciples. They came, became the first Uber Eats, right? They took lunch to everybody. We are God's distribution strategy. We are God's delivery company. And please know that God will use you for his goodness in the world. You have been sent. You have been given to the world by God. Well, let me wrap this up. Last verse. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. You know, sometimes I ask odd questions when I read Scripture. And when I read this, I'm thinking, okay, who ate the leftovers? Have you ever wondered that? They picked up 12 baskets full. What did they do with it? I mean, Jesus is not wasting. Jesus is not going to waste bread and fish. Were there more people fed that day? When we allow Jesus to be our leader, when we see and recognize the world the way he does, with compassion and not contempt, when we offer ourselves in service to him in this world, in the time in which we live, our impact, both as individuals and together as the people of God, will last far beyond our daily lives, both in distance and in time. 
They're not leftovers in quality, by the way. It's leftovers in quantity. Not quality, quantity. There are people in Ukraine being helped because of the work we're doing here and have done here. There are people in other parts of Virginia in the U.S. being being impacted by our support of Virginia Baptist, of uptick in fresh expressions. There are people being helped right here in Alexandria that may never walk onto our property. And I wonder about the legacy being established now by our vision for the common good, to offer loaves and fish to Jesus together to impact our city for decades to come. More than enough to feed not only all the thousands, but even those not ever mentioned. Almost every Sunday morning, I come over to the building around 7 o'clock. I print my sermon. I walk the halls. I talk to God. I whistle a few praise songs, a few hymns. And one of my favorite stops is to go into the senior's classroom, Molly's classroom. And I flip on the lights for them and chase away any church mice that, that might be in there and all that kind of stuff. And on Molly's desk, there read, there's this sign. I took it this morning, by the way. I don't know if you noticed it was gone. But there's this sign that somebody put up there. I don't know who put it up there. You put it up there, Molly? Okay, I, ever the teacher. I'm going to try to read from behind here. But aspire to inspire before you expire. All right? Aspire to inspire before you expire. How long has that been up there, Molly? Years? It's been somewhere for years. Yeah. Aspire to inspire before you expire. We have one life, one life to offer our Lord. One life to be blessed, broken, and given to this world. And I am confident, I am confident that he will take our offering and turn a little into a lot. He will take our offering and use it far beyond that we can ever see. And may generations after us keep picking up the leftovers and distributing them and sending them to the world that God loves. Amen? Amen. Well, today we come to the table of Jesus. And uh, this morning, we're going to observe communion in um, a slightly different way. Um, we simply ask you to come and, and just uh, as uh, Chris plays a song for us, we ask you to come and uh, take one of the kits, the, the communion kits that has both the wafer and the juice, and simply uh, take that back to your seat. And then we will all receive communion at the same time. I'll lead us to take it, okay? So is everybody clear? And do we, have, uh, do we have kits in the balcony? Good, there's, there's kits in the balcony there. So um, uh, after I pray for us, I invite you, and Chris starts playing, I invite you to come, receive a kit, take it back to your seat, and hold it, and then I'll lead us to take. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his life. And Lord, we lift our hearts and our heads to the heavens, and we give thanks for his life, his ministry, his death that bought our freedom and our pardon on the cross. And so, Lord, now as we come 
to his table, this table that is open to all. We pray that you'll hear our prayers of thanksgiving, that you'll hear our prayers of confession, that you'll hear our prayers of commitment to being sent by you, and hear our praise of prayers of praise and adoration and glory for all you've done, all you're doing, and all you will do as we're taken, blessed, broken, and given. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.